0: Now for the last few weeks we've been looking at this idea of abiding in Jesus through Advent. Um, This whole series is rooted in uh, the idea of abiding in Jesus. In the New Testament the word abide shows up all over the place. It Just to remind us, it means to um, continue, dwell, endure, be present, remain, or stand. It shows up mostly in the Gospel of John and in 1 John. Uh, John loved this image of abiding and remaining or making your home. It's where we get our word abode from, right? So uh, making your home with Jesus. And we wanted to focus on that during the Christmas season. Uh, now, nowhere does this word show up more in a brief uh, section than in John 15, which I preached on a couple months ago. But um, just 10 times in the first uh, half of the chapter, uh, it shows up. But just verses 4, 7, and 9, you can hear Jesus say, abide in me, abide in my word, abide in my love. And that's the hope for us this Christmas season, that that as we think about the coming of Christ, that Christ came not so simply so he could be with us, but that we could be with him, that we could know God. Um, There is no other religion in the world where um, the, the that God came and 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 entered this world among his people. The closest thing is sort of the Roman idea where they kind of came and hooked up with some women along the way to produce half-demigods, right? Um, but it was never about being with the people and actually knowing and experiencing life with them. Um, I'm going to throw something out I don't do not this very often, Uh, I'll I'll be honest with you, about 95% of Christian media is really bad. Um, I don't doubt the heart that's behind most of it, but it is not produced well, not uh, written well, and so um, I think it might be fine in in certain circles to enjoy that, but I think generally as something to endorse. It it can be uh, a bit troublesome, but I have been blown away with The Chosen. If anybody, I know your crazy Christian aunt has been posting about it on Facebook, um, and you're like, oh, I'm definitely not watching that. Um, trust me, she's not crazy on, on this, right? On this, actually extremely well produced. Uh, it's, it's, uh, I just find my heart drawn to the person of Jesus through this uh, in some beautiful ways. So I encourage you to, to pick that up, start watching that. It's on uh, Amazon Prime right now, at least the first couple of seasons. So I uh, encourage you to, to look at that. But the idea that Jesus actually came in human form and lived among us, that we could know him, we could, uh, we could have a personal relationship with him and experience his presence in our lives is, is mind-blowing. Um, and he gives us these crazy promises in connection with this, like in verse 7. I just read a part of it. But if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. So there's this idea that abiding, you're abiding in Jesus, you're walking with Jesus, you're in such communion and communication with Jesus, that when you feel led in your heart to ask for something, he's like, that's my heart. Because we're walking together, we're lock arm. We, when you see a situation, you see a need, an opportunity for the kingdom of God, for, for God to be glorified, and you pray for that, Jesus' heart is with you in that. And he will, I believe, answer that prayer may not be exactly how we think, but he will answer that prayer. Now, when you talk about prayer, there are a few things that pastors can bring up in their churches, at least here in the United States, that will immediately create senses a sense of disappointment, guilt, shame. I should probably pray more. I, just to show the hands in here, okay, so just honesty time, the safe space, okay, safe space. I am raising my hand. See this hand? This is not an example to like, you should raise your hand this way, but I'm raising my hand. How many of you think you should pray more than you do? Okay, safe space, right? So we're all in this together. Here's the thing I want you to understand. As we talk about prayer today, and we talk about this idea of abiding in Jesus through prayer, I'm not talking about um, guilting you into it. And I'm not talking about adding to your schedule. Everybody in here is busy. Everybody in here has a life that's jammed up with activities. I am talking to you about reallocating or realigning your schedule with Christ in a way that leads you to be able to pray more. Now, one of the things that the Lord helped me to do was to look at my thing on here. It's called the screen, Screen Time app. Um, Now, again, I'm going to be honest because the Lord really called me to do this. I looked at this to see how much time I spent on Instagram and Twitter last week, just on my phone. And it was almost four hours, four hours during the week. Now, some of you are like, oh, that's a day for me. Um, (laughs) I'm not, we're not comparing. Okay. Um, But I, I, but it did make me think about the fact that I don't remember a lot of that time and I don't remember a lot of that time being very productive. I don't remember finishing something and going, man, I just love Jesus more right now. I just love him. I just want to serve him. just want to see his kingdom come in my life now after scrolling through reels on Instagram. Yeah. Uh, now, I'm not saying it may not have a place in your life, but I would encourage you to open your phone. I know most of us ignore it. Open our phone and look at that screen time app. And just be honest with the Lord today, later today, maybe not right now, because um, some of you might fall over shocked at how much time you spent in the last few weeks uh, looking at, things, at social media. Um, so not saying don't have it. I'm simply saying that we live in an attention economy where our attention is being sold to the highest bidder. Like literally, I mean, we might, you might think you're above the psychology of it all. I, I kind of, I'll be honest, I kind of think, oh, I'm, I, you know, I, I can't be enticed like that. That's exactly what they want me to think. And meanwhile, I'm scrolling Instagram, you know. <laughs> like they, they sell my attention. They sell your attention. They are, there are algorithms and who knows, AI and everything behind this. And you and I are powerless if we do not go into it with a clear lens of this is. They are trying to suck me in, trying to steal my time. And it's created what um, Microsoft researcher Linda Stone referred to as continual partial attention. Continual. How many of you feel that way at times? You just have like continual partial attention. <clears throat> Excuse me. I'm not supposed to have water in here, by the way. <clears throat> I'm a hypocrite. Um, I'm just being honest. No. <laughs> um, <clears throat> I need that. Or you know, you hear me cough the whole, ser- whole sermon. I feel that way. But prayer in this. This attention economy, continual partial attention, are at war with each other. They really are because they will... That, that continual partial attention will not crowd your... Uh, in an attention economy, will not crowd out your job, right? Hopefully it doesn't. If it does, you're not going to last very long at your job. But most of us know how to turn it off to actually do our work. Most of us know how to turn it off to go to bed. Most of us know how to turn it off to go take a shower and do things that are essential to life. So what ends up getting sacrificed? things that we don't feel are as important and prayer is one of those things and it's important to see how these two are at war with each other Augustine said prayer does not seek to draw God towards us he is closer than we are to ourselves its purpose is to bring us close enough to him to dialogue and to make us aware of his nearness so what happens when we have this continual partial attention at, at the world and, and we're being pulled over here and we're trying to go, okay, yeah, I should probably pray some. I'll try to, okay, God, like you know, help me with this today. Um, and we go to God like that. We're missing what the purpose of prayer is. Again, not asking you to add anything to your life. I'm asking and encouraging you to cut down on things that aren't actually life-giving. Create this space in your life. Jesus did this in his lifetime. And he models this for us in Mark chapter one. We're just gonna read verses 32 through 37. I'm really gonna focus on verse 35, but I wanted to read the context here. This is Jesus beginning of his public ministry. And he's just, he's been out healing and doing all kinds of stuff. And verse uh, 32, that evening at sundown, they brought him to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door and he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him now pause there what do we know right off the bat that jesus has been all day healing preaching teaching uh, and casting out demons and now it's evening and what's happened people are still coming and the impression here in this acts the way it is is it, it went well into the night right way after dark verse 32 that evening at sundown oh, sorry verse um, 35 uh, early in the morning. While it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, everyone is looking for you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So we can't abide in Jesus if we aren't in prayer like Jesus and with Jesus. What we see here in this passage, three very simple ideas from Jesus' experience that are for us as well. Uh, he was busy Jesus was busy, but he retreated, and so must we. That's the first point. Jesus was busy, just like you, right? I know you're thinking, well, he doesn't have my schedule. Yes, but you also aren't savior of the world. So I think he was thinking about more things and had more things on his plate, and more things, honestly, good things that he could have done, right? One of the interesting things about Jesus' life in ministry is he didn't heal everyone in Israel. He didn't go to every town. But do you think he was aware of the needs in those towns? Do you think he was aware of the people that he didn't get to heal? Sure he was. Jesus had those people on his mind and on his heart, and yet he retreated. This was an incredible time of growth in his ministry. He healed people, cast out demons. Many people were flocking to him, desiring to hear him and see him. And it's interesting, when you and I are uh, in periods of growth or productivity advancement in our careers or school what do we tend to do do we tend to pull back and take time to retreat or do we press in and work harder we press in and work harder right we we, we get more fo- more laser focus here's the opportunity here's the project here's the program here's the grant whatever I, it is i'm gonna do this i gotta pass this exam i'm gonna do this thing so we got we have a laser focus and we push everything else aside including rest, and solitude, and prayer. But we find Jesus doing just the opposite. The busier he gets, the more he unplugs and gets downtime. He was no doubt busy and exhausted. But it was one of the interesting things about the um, Chosen, and I'm not going to like tell you about all the episodes or whatever, but I mean, it's kind of the Gospels. But um, <clears throat> but one of the things that was really interesting, they showed Jesus re- one episode really, really tired. Like, really exhausted, like he had been healing and doing uh, with people all day long. And he literally stumbled into camp late at at dark and uh, he actually had blood on him, not his blood, but like somebody he had healed. He just collapsed in his tent and I just go, okay. So he got tired too. He in those moments chose not to say, well, I'm also divine. So I'll just use all that divine power to overcome my physical weakness in that moment. No, he limited himself to feel the physical exhaustion that you and I feel as a human being, and yet, what did he do? He rose and he prayed. That's what you you and I do. I know you have a late night, you're out doing something, and and you get you get home, and you're like, I cannot wait to get up early tomorrow morning and pray five thirty. I mean, I leave sometimes elder meetings, <clears throat> you know, late at night, and driving home, and I'm like, man, just can't wait to get up and pray at five thirty. No, I mean, I'm going to be honest with you. That's not usually the thing that's running through my mind. I'm usually thinking I've got staff meeting the next morning. <laughs> yeah. But but it's interesting. Jesus is modeling something for us here. The the four verbs, rising, departed, went, and prayed, emphasize his resolve to have fellowship with his father. Where did he go pray? The, the term a desolate place, or what's translated in other places as a desert. He went away from... Uh, his people, he went out to a desolate place so he could be uninterrupted and be able to focus on the Lord. Now, I know, uh, for me, I love times when I can get outside of the city and get to a nice, quiet place in the woods uh, by a stream, looking at a mountain or a lake. It's beautiful, it's restful. Um, We can't do that every day, right? (laughs) But does that mean we can't retreat? No, we can. We can retreat. We can figure out how to carve out time in our lives where we can put this thing away Retreat from technology and draw in close to the Lord. Now, I realize some of you are very busy, some of you have small children, and your life feels very frenetic and, and crazy. And that might mean that, that at times it's husbands and wives trading off, right? Like, hey, I'll watch the kids this morning, you, you go take some time with the Lord, you, uh, you can watch the kids tomorrow morning and I'll do that, right? Like, it, you may have to do that. There are seasons in life, there's lots of grace in it, but there's w- the one thing that you, you can't give yourself is continual, never-ending grace in that, right? Because what happens then? You end up never retreating, you end up never taking that time that you need to pray. So make a plan and work the plan talk to your spouse <clears throat> or your roommates or however you need to do that secondly we see Jesus he made time to pray and so must we he didn't just retreat he made time to actually pray now he could have he could have done without that right I mean you recognize that right we look at Jesus of scripture we look at this the the beautiful language in Descriptions of Him in Hebrews one and, and uh, Colossians that He is the firstborn over all creation that everything is made by Him and nothing is made that was you know that nothing is made that wasn't made by Him or through Him and He is uh, at the right hand of the Father and uh, all powerful and knowing and, and glorious and yet when He was in this world He needed prayer He needed prayer as an essential part of His life. Surely, if anyone could have skipped out on prayer, it would have been Jesus, right? To let prayer slide. I'll do that tomorrow. But that's not what we see. But what we tell ourselves is what we think he could have told himself. You see, we think Jesus could have told himself, I can make it without it. I'm God, right? So what happens with us is this subtle pride enters in where you actually think you're gonna be okay if you don't pray. Let's stop and think about that for a moment. We think we will be okay if we don't pray. Does anybody see an issue with that? Seems like, kind of like an old temptation where you will be like God, right? God-like, where you don't need God. You can be God. That's what you tell yourself, and I tell myself when I don't take time to pray and like out of essential dependence on God. I'm basically saying to God, I'm okay not to pray. Now, are you okay to not pray? Oh, there's grace. There's crazy days. There's days you're sick. There's days that things happen. Totally get that. And I would say, there's grace, right? Right? But when you string enough of those days together, what are you building into your own heart? You are building pride. You are sowing into your own pride and self sufficiency. And you're, I would argue, again, going back to the Garden of Eden, your own bid for independence. You take yourself from being dependent on God to going, I am not so dependent on God. I'm not so dependent on God that I really need to pray today. And that's why I would say the subtle danger of our culture and the subtle danger of our attention economy is that can begin to build in our lives. Jesus gave up sleep to pray. In history, the great saints and great times of, of awakening in church history have been times when people prayed. Sometimes that 3 to 6 a.m. prayer time was, was huge. Other times it was, you know, that 6 to 12 until uh, uh, midnight prayer time became an essential part of the church. It was interesting when I um, I read on the Great Awakening, Second Great Awakening here in Boston, <clears throat> Charles Finney in the late uh, 19th century. Uh, when he was here, he, God was moving across the city. And I know it's hard to imagine. You're like, well, of course, it was a Christian city back then. Not really. You know, We, we tend to think any time kind of before this was a real Christian time in U.S. history, if you studied U.S. history, and religious U.S. history, it wasn't. There were periods where you could count the number of Christians on Harvard's campus with one hand in the early 1800s. So, like, it's, it's not always been that way. So God brought an awakening in Boston. He awakened the churches. He moved, revived the churches, saved thousands of people around the city. And this is what Charles Finney said. But there was such a general confidence in the prevalence of prayer that the people very extensively seemed to prefer meeting for prayer to meeting for preaching. The general impression seemed to be, we have had instruction until we are hardened, it's time to pray. The answers to prayer were constant and so striking as to arrest the attention of the people generally throughout the land. It was evident that in answer to prayer, the the windows of heaven were opened and the Spirit of God poured out like a flood. You and I can keep doing what we are doing, or we can make prayer a priority like we actually need. <clears throat> and it will be in counterintuitive to your life. It's one of the reasons why I firmly believe in accountability in that. It Maybe the Lord, you spend time with the Lord, and he says, you do need to get up at 5 a.m., or you do need to get up at 6 a.m. and take that extra time to, to be in prayer. And if you do, that's great. Do not keep that to yourself. You find someone else who feels that same call, and you say, let's text each other at 6 a.m. That's what a friend of mine and I do. I've been doing for the last few months. Um, and it's been challenging each other to and reminding each other, oh, yeah, I might sleep in today, but he's going to text me. So i, I got to get up tomorrow at least, you know? And so it gets you back on course. I love the um, what Adoniram Judson Gordon said. Uh, who was the founder of Gordon, Con- uh, Gordon College and Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary. He was a Boston pastor, one of the leading, um, leading pastors in the country during his time in the 19th century. He said this, you can do more than pray after you have prayed, but you cannot do more than pray until you have prayed. I wonder how that would change your life and my life if we approached our days that way. Finally here, Jesus communed with the Father and so must we. He communed with the Father, and so must we. The verb pray here <clears throat> is a um, in a tense that suggested early <clears throat> the early morning hours, that Jesus spent hours in prayer. Now the question is, what did he pray? There's no content to this prayer in this text, but we have content from Jesus' other prayers. <clears throat> and one of the things that sets Jesus's prayers apart from mine a lot, is that Je- I think Jesus's prayers were focused on the Father, on communing with the Father, more than just giving God a laundry list of things to do. Now listen, God wants to hear you ask him to do great things. I really believe that. I believe he wants you to ask him, he wants me to ask him to move in our life, to move in our, our world, to bring his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, but he doesn't want us to miss that the the central underlying current and stream of prayer is communion with the Father. That you're talking to God. You're talking to the sovereign king of the universe. And I heard someone uh, say, not long ago, a prayer leader, he said the, the real essential element in prevailing prayer or a deep and meaningful prayer life is reminding yourself who you're talking to. You're talking to God. Number one, how crazy crazy is that? I mean, how crazy of a privilege is that, that you get to talk to God? That he actually hears. He doesn't go like, hey, I'll get around to you. I've got a busy week. Uh, Send me an email. We'll set up a time. You know, like, he is literally available to you for you to pray to him and talk to him. And he, this is the crazy thing. He doesn't just, he doesn't tolerate you. He wants you. He wants to commune with you. He wants to hear you. He delights in you coming to him. And the beauty of it is he calls, it's because he is our father. Jesus refers to God as father in several places, even uses the word Abba, which basically means Papa. That's a scandalous term for God. You understand why the Jewish people, why the Jewish religious leaders couldn't tolerate Jesus? Had this guy walking around, not simply claiming to be the son of God, but then talking to God as if he is his personal, relational father. They were like, you can't talk about God like that. This is the great Yahweh. You, you, you can't even utter his name. And you're telling us you talk to him? Tim Keller says, prayer is about searing the senses of the heart and mind with the white hot fact that in Christ, the cosmic Lord of the universe has become your father. Infinite, absolute, transcendent power, gentled for you. What a beautiful picture of prayer. So I want to suggest to you some ways to pray as I close. Um, You might go, okay, well, I don't know how to guide my like, prayer time. It's like I usually get down and I've got so many things on my mind. I just blah oh, to God. Why don't, why don't I suggest that you pray? P-R-A-Y. David Platt uses this acrostic, and it's simple, but it's so easy to remember, and it's helpful. And I encourage you, if you need to take your phone out and take a picture of it, you're welcome to. We'll send it out to community groups this week. Um, but it's a simple four-step process of prayer. And you would be amazed how this prayer, using this as just a guide for your prayer, can move your prayer life. The first is P, beginning with praise and worshiping God for who he is. Just anything that that you think of about God, his goodness, his kindness, his beauty, his power, his majesty. R is repent, confess your sin to God, acknowledge that you need your need for Christ. You know, one of the beautiful things about um, real repentance and confession is that God has always used that as a catalyst for renewal. Not just in the life of an individual, but in the life of the church. I've been reading more on the Korean Pentecost. Some of you know this. This is you're, You are Korean. This is like you know it well. Um, but one of the, the markers of the event that kind of, there was a lot going on before and a lot that went on after, but kind of at the event where it, it was very clear that God showed up and did some crazy things, was open, loud confession of every sin. Pastors, these were pastors, confessing their sins in a in room of hundreds of others about their own deep, ugly sin. The guy who was writing the book said, I hope to never be a part of this again, unless God is at, at work, because I was hearing pastors confess things that were really gross. Confession. Take that time to confess to the Lord. Be honest with him. Ask. Petition for specific needs in your life and the life of others. This is your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth and in my life as it is in heaven. And then finally, yield. Surrender your life to following Jesus wherever and however he leads you. This is important. Not just to end your prayer time. God, do this. Please do this. Please do this. Please do this. this. Would you do this and do this? Okay. Thank you. Amen. But to actually close your prayer time by saying, Lord, I said, go about my day. Go about what's ahead of me. I yield myself to you. I surrender myself to you. I love uh, Jackie Hill Perry said, it is only the surrendered person who will know what it means to truly be free. Because freedom is found only in Christ. And by, by yielding yourself in prayer as you close, you step into freedom for your day. So I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes just take a, a moment <clears throat> to be honest with the Lord about your relationship with, with him through prayer have you been seeing God as a someone to give your laundry list of things to do or have you really sought to commune with him to know him have you allowed your attention to be stolen for people making money off of it rather than hours and time spent in prayer. Father, who are we as finite, limited, temporary, Vapors on this planet. That you would want us to come to you and commune with you through prayer. That you not only delight in it, you command us to come. To ask, to seek, to knock. Stir in us a heart of prayer, Lord. Stir in us a heart to delight in those silent moments, those quiet moments, even if it is just for a few moments out of our crazy day. May they be life-giving to us as we commune and know you and experience the freedom of complete surrender to you through prayer. In your name,